0: Now, everyone talks about the beast, but did you realize that there was more than one? Look at verse 11. I saw another beast coming up out of the earth or out of the land. This is not the beast from the sea, Antichrist. This is a beast out of the land, out of, out of, listen, Israel. Another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. He spoke like a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And now we come to what we could call the third person in the beastly trinity. I told you, Satan is a counterfeiter, not a creator. There is a Trinity, a Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Satan comes along, interestingly, in the last seven years of Earth's existence as we know it, and develops, counterfeits his own Trinity. The dragon being the head of his Trinity, Antichrist being like Christ, the Son in the Trinity, and now this next beast, this third beast, this beast from the land, the false prophet. False prophet. A Satan counterfeit. So he had the same kind of Trinitarian aura about himself. There are three of us. This is the way it is. And he will probably at that point begin trying to call people's attention to even the scripture. And say, no, "I was actually describing myself and, you know, Antichrist and the false prophet. This is the Trinity right here. Now remember, the beast from the sea indicates that Antichrist will come from the nations. The sea, the Mediterranean being the sea of humanity. But the sea... The the false prophet now is a beast from the earth or from the land. What land is that? And I believe personally, and I can't prove this, but this is what I think. So this is Rick's opinion here. I believe that the false prophet will come directly out of Israel. I believe the false prophet will very well be Jewish. Listen to this description of the false prophet. He's a strange looking lamb. He, He looks, well, he has two horns like a lamb. He has this appearance of a lamb, even though he speaks like a dragon. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing, and he'll have an almost Christ-like, lamb-like appearance, but he'll have horns of power that will be sticking up through his sheepskin costume. He'll be a lamb only by disguise. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them, you will know them by their fruits. What fruits? Look at the fruit of this false prophet. He is Antichrist's PR guy. He has the speech of a dragon. He has the superpowers of Antichrist. This beast from the land, this false prophet. The source of his language will be Satan, the speech of a dragon. But his purpose is to cause the earth to worship, not himself, but Antichrist. He will be focusing back toward Antichrist. And that's kind of interesting because in the Holy Trinity... The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to put all the focus on Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. That's, by the way, how you know the Holy Spirit is present in a church body. If Jesus is the focus. If the teaching is about Jesus. If the name Jesus is spoken with love and affection constantly among people in a specific body, you know the Holy Spirit is there because Jesus said when the Helper comes, John 15, 26... Whom I will send to you from the Father. That is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me. He'll tell you all about me. You know you have the Holy Spirit. When all you can think about is Jesus. Because that's what the Holy Spirit will do. Well, now we come to this great deception. The false prophet, the beast from the earth, testifies and points toward Antichrist in this sick and beastly trinity. Verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. Remember that false resurrection? And it was given to him, that is this false prophet, to give breath to the image of the beast so that even the image of the beast would speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. This is fascinating and bizarre. He causes an image to be set up. It kind of draws our minds back to Nebuchadnezzar's image. The gold statue that he has erected in Daniel chapter 3 and forces all the people to bow down before. Well, now there's an image and it's an image of Antichrist. A golden image set up for all of the world to worship. And somehow, whether it's by, I don't know, animatronics or demonatronics or something, this this statue can speak and will speak the words of Antichrist. And anyone who doesn't bow down to this statue will be terminated, will be taken out. Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. The prophetic symbolism in Daniel chapter 3, by the way, is absolutely stunning. Something to tuck away and think about. He sets up a golden image for himself on the plain of Dura for the people to worship. In doing so, this image is 60 cubits high by 6 cubits wide and is worshipped with 6 musical instruments in Nebuchadnezzar's praise band. Six, six, six. Daniel chapter 3, and you can look that up and study that if you want to do that. And refusal, by the way, to worship the the image of Nebuchadnezzar gained a person access to the furnace that was heated seven times over. How long is the tribulation? Seven years. And so there's a parallel here. And the image of the beast here in Revelation 13, verses 14 and 15, this image of the beast is the abomination of desolation. This is what Daniel talked about. It's what Jesus referred back to, Matthew 24, 15. Jesus said, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. And you can compare this to Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, and Daniel chapter 12, verse 11 as well. What is this image? How is this functioning? This image is a death machine, which is interesting to me because idol worship kills anyway. Any worship of idols brings about death. Now consider this verse, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. It's called the Shema. It is the centerpiece of verses for Israel and the worship of the Lord by the Israelites. Deuteronomy six four, hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. There is only one Lord to be worshipped. Not multiple idols, not different idols, but one Lord, one God. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Now hold on to that thought and read on verse 16. He causes all, that is the false prophet, the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the freemen and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. This mark fascinates the world. And all kinds of bizarre interpretations of what it might be. Verse 17 says he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark. Either the name of the beast or the number of his name. What do you think this passage might have meant in the culture of John? Mark of a beast. Intriguing. Because John, in his day, whose highest technology might have been ink on papyrus, describes exactly what's going on in the world today, what is, what is uh, available to you and I today. A mark that we can take on the right hand. A mark that, that we can receive if we choose to. It, it, it indicates this whole idea of buying and selling by numbers. How many of you, you get on the internet, you want to buy something, and what do you do? You type in your credit card number. You're buying by numbers. If you have the number of the beast here, you can buy and you can sell, if you've got the number. If you don't have the number, you can't buy or sell anything. You're in a world of hurt. And so we have technology running around in our world today that would have made no sense in John's day for centuries. These couple of verses made no sense. Bible scholars, even in the 18th century, would read this verse and say, what could this possibly be? How could Antichrist cause everybody to have a certain mark and you got to buy it? How does that work? And we take our credit card and we swipe it right through the machine on the way through the grocery store and we're out of there. It's done. How much easier would it be if maybe we even had a credit card number embedded or implanted, say, in our hand, and we could just run our hand underneath the scanner and off we go. In fact, security-wise, that makes a lot of sense. No one can rip off your hand. And if someone walked into a grocery store with a cut-off hand and tried to buy something, I think people would notice. It's not going to work. It's great security. It makes perfect sense. In fact, we are living in a society that is very fast becoming cash-free. We don't use cash hardly at all. I rarely even have cash in my wallet. The banking system, by the way, has been pushing for a cash-free society for years. Every check written costs somewhere between 35 and $0.60 to process. There's a cost involved. Whereas, electronically, each transaction costs about a penny. That's a huge savings of money for the banking industry. The IRS loses, listen to this, up to $1 trillion a year to the underground economy. That is, people paid who are not declaring what they're receiving in payment. Tax evasion based on cash only transactions. They estimate up to a trillion dollars a year. And our national debt would be solved, you know, if everybody just paid taxes. What about security in the post 9 11 world? On that day, when suddenly, at the fall of the towers, human lives were lost, decimated in that burning, heated pile of rubble, remains never to be found again how would you know if one of your loved ones was actually in that pile of rubble there's no dental records nothing's left how could you ever really know oh you obviously make the assumption they never came home that was the last morning I saw them but if there was something embedded a chip perhaps a way that people could be tracked then all we have to do is track that down my dog Reggie already has a tracking chip (laughs) I thought that was very interesting. I came home and Cheryl brought Reggie home from the vet and he had his shots and got his chip. I said, what? He got his chip. And I quickly looked at his paws to make sure it didn't say 666. Six. You know, I just want to make sure. My dog wasn't under the mark of the beast. Now, he is a beast. He urinated on the floor twice today. Little beast. I don't appreciate that one bit. But listen, if you want to study this further, I'm not going to take a lot of time on it tonight. I encourage you to go to Very verychipcorp.com. V-E-R-I Chip C-O-R-P VerichipCore.com And just look at what they're doing. Look at the technology available today to implant a mark. It's amazing. And by the way, people are already doing it. In fact, for medical records alone, Cheryl went into the hospital and one of her great frustrations was she was in intense pain. And we're talking kidney pain. It was awful. And they had her on morphine, and so she's, you know, floating in and out. And to admit her from the emergency room into the hospital was a 45-minute procedure of the, of the nurse standing there with the computer asking her all manner of questions. Wouldn't it be easier if she could just be scanned in all of her medical records right there on the computer screen? It makes perfect sense. As opposed to asking a sick person. Or what if you're in another country and you get sick and you have to be rushed to the hospital and there's no medical records and no idea of what might be causing your illness. They run your hand under a scanner and boom, they have all the information that they need. It makes perfect sense in our world today. The world's primed for this stuff. Again, Reggie has his tracking chip. It's standard for pets now. Most pets just... The, the, if you get a new pet, the vet will say, hey, you want, you want the tracking chip? Your dog gets lost. We just look on the little radar thing. There he is. Easy to find. Standard for pets. In Antichrist's reign, it will be standard for humans. And I'll let you again study those things if you want to. Verichipcore.com John saw this 2,000 years ago. He saw right where we're at and the technology, and he couldn't have possibly known. Now listen few minutes ago we read Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Hasidic Jews today in Jerusalem still place this verse, Deuteronomy 6.4, into what's called phylacteries, little boxes. And you'll see those little boxes tied on the forehead or bound around the wrist on the hand. Still worn. the hand, the forehead, and along comes the Antichrist who says you've got to have a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. He's a counterfeiter. He's a counterfeiter. There's no creativity here. He's nothing more than a crafty counterfeiter. By the way, one more quick thing, what the Bible has to say about marks and taking marks. Leviticus 19.28. God says, you shall not make any cuts in your body for the dead, nor make any tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Oops. Oops. <laughs> Any tattoos here? Maybe you're not going to raise your hand. It's coming up. Oh, okay. What's this talking about? What was the problem? God's not talking about tattoos as we have them today. But tattoo marks for the people of Israel was absolutely forbidden. Why? Why in the Levitical law, law was it forbidden? Because historically, Canaanite pagans tattooed their bodies. And God said, do not be like them. Don't look like them. God wanted Israel to be different than the pagan nations in the area into which he was bringing them. And prophetically, prophetically speaking, there's a mark coming down the pike that ultimately will mean damnation. And it's the mark of the beast. And I mention this because there has been a move in American Christianity toward relevance. To look like the world looks. When I was in youth ministry, not a decade ago, youth pastors looking like the kids they were serving. I never did because every time I tried, it just looked dorky. You know, I just looked like an older guy trying to look like a teenager. So I just gave up that and just said, I'm just going to be myself. But I, so many of my youth pastor friends who were tipping their hair and they were getting the tattoos and they were getting the earrings and they were doing everything they could, you know, earring, their, their tongue rings, the whole thing, just to be, and I don't know how you could do that if you're, if you're spending your time teaching the Bible and you got to talk a lot and you've got a tongue ring, I don't know how they did that. But they were trying to be relevant. Oh, let's be relevant for the world. Problem is that's not relevance, it's relegation. It's relegation. It's relegating the truth for the sake of relevance. And in that context, when we do that, we lose touch, gang, with the Lord. Now, in Leviticus, God doesn't say avoid tattoos because the Antichrist is coming. He says, don't do it, Israel, because I am the Lord. And again, you guys are tattoos. It's Levitical law. Are you under the law? Kevin, good. You're all right. Don't worry about it. That's my take on tattoos. But the problem with the mark of the beast ultimately is the mark, listen to this and don't miss this, it's very important and it will answer a question for you. The mark of the beast is a mark of loyalty to Satan. Now you might ask the question, my mother-in-law has because credit cards freak her out. ATM cards, the first, when ATM cards started to come out she was saying, that's it, that's it, that's the mark of the beast. It's, I'm never going to get an ATM card because I don't want to have the mark of the beast. I don't want to be tricked. And here's the question. Can someone be tricked into taking this mark? No. Nope. No way. God makes sure that people will know exactly what they're cheating. Look at Revelation 14 verse 9 another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength with the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. You take the mark, you will be damned. And yea, this angel sent by God during the tribulation will be proclaimed this throughout the world. And that is grace, my friends. That's why, as we've seen before, that Jesus talked about hell more than heaven because grace makes sure you understand the consequences of your action and there will not be a single person on planet Earth who takes the mark of the beast who doesn't know exactly what they're doing. God will make sure of that. Verse 18 of Revelation 13. Here is Wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man. And his number is 666. One of the most enigmatic verses in all scripture. People go to that, what's that mean? What does it look like? You see those movies where you know the evil guy has a 666 tattooed on his arm, or, or you know, they use it in all kinds of demonic ways, trying to make something more of it than it truly is. Here's the deal on the number. Here's all John tells us all we need to know and understand about the number. What is the number 666 all about? And if anyone wonders, by the way, whether the beast is an empire or a person, John tells us the number, the 666, is simply the number of a Man. Which tells us two things. Number one, the beast, Antichrist, will be a human. Will be a man. No question about it. 666, six, six, the number of the beast, the beast is a man. But it also tells us something else incredibly revealing. And I want to end with this thought tonight. There's an interesting calculation that can be done right here that yields for us the identity, the name of Antichrist. And I told you before, I'm not going to tell you what that is tonight. But we will come back to that and look at it, and it's absolutely fascinating. But this is what I want you to take home tonight and listen closely because it's just awesome. 666. Six, six. You could draw a line over it because it just continues repeating because 666 six, six never gets to 7. It never arrives at 7. The number of man, man was created on day 6. 6 is always the number of man in the Bible. Man is imperfect, man is incomplete, man is not quite to the number seven. We stop at six. It's a picture of endless incompletion. But there is a number of completion in the Bible, and that's the number seven. And it's so important in Scripture, listen to this, the Bible records seven days of creation. The seventh day is a day of rest, seven days of rain after Noah enters the ark. Seven days between the doves. Jacob serves for seven years to get both Rachel and Leah. Leah then Rachel. And Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dreams of seven cows and seven ears of corn. There were seven articles of tabernacle furniture. There were seven lamps on the menorah, seven major feasts for Israel, seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, seven weeks to the Feast of Weeks, seven months between Nisan and Tishri, every seventh year a sabbatical year, and seven times seven years to the Jubilee. Seven's a big number in scripture. Seven priests marched around Jericho with seven trumpets seven times in the book of Joshua. There are seven nations listed in the land of Canaan that Israel would overcome. Solomon took seven years to build the temple. Naaman washed seven times in the river Jesus fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread And there were seven basketfuls left over Jesus cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene And said that we should forgive 70 times seven You get the importance of the word of the number seven here Throughout scripture That number of completion But listen, I want to take it up a notch And I don't know if all of you have heard this I know a few of you have But it's just so cool Imagine tonight, if I gave you an assignment, passed out paper and pens and put you into small groups and said, we're going to create a genealogy. We're just going to write up, and it's a pretend. We're not assigning you to be real. But we're going to come up with a list of names and create a pretend, a phony genealogy in our little small groups tonight. But here are the rules for it. The number of words written out in your genealogy must be divisible by seven. Okay? Must be, so you have 49 words in it. You know, you could have whatever divisible by seven. The number of letters, though, also must be divisible by seven. It's going to get a little tougher. The number of vowels and consonants, each, must be divisible by seven. The number of words that begin with a vowel or with a consonant must be divisible by seven. The number of words that occur more than once, yeah, those need to be divisible by seven as well. The number of words that occur more than, in more than one form or in only one form must each be divisible by seven. Okay, you're keeping track of this? It's not that hard. (laughs) The number of nouns in your genealogy must be divisible by seven. The number of words that are not nouns must be exactly seven. Okay, not divisible, just exactly seven. The number of names in your genealogy must be divisible by seven. The number of male names in your genealogy must be divisible by seven. The number of generations must total 21. Again, divisible by seven. Could you do it? (laughs) The odds are against us. The odds are somewhat stacked. In fact, it's staggering. Chuck Missler, in his book Hidden Treasures, says the following. The odds of a random text complying to only nine heptatic constraints, that is, constraints that it must be divisible by seven, nine divisions of seven, is over 40 million to one. Put that a little finer for you. If it took you ten minutes per draft... And you worked at it forty hours a week at fifty weeks a year, you could possibly get the job done in three thousand years. That would be a long night. What does this mean? Why am I pointing this out? Gang, okay. the Gospel of Matthew, chapter one, verses one through eleven gives us a genealogy that meets that criteria. Amazing. The genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. What was that? Every single one of those. Matthew 1? Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. The genealogy of Jesus records and every criteria I just mentioned and even more. I only mentioned a few. This division of seven in the genealogy of Jesus Christ is mind-boggling. It's absolutely stunning. And you might say, wow, that's cool. What in the world does that have to do with the number of the beast? Cheryl and I were recently doing pre-marriage counseling with Chris and Ashley. And as we were talking to them, we were talking about marriage and a marriage that's centered around Jesus. And being focused on Jesus. And saying the ideal marriage is one in which the husband loves Jesus more than his wife. Where the wife loves Jesus more than her husband. Because the more we love Jesus, the more we love each other. That's the ideal. That's the key, by the way, to a successful marriage is Jesus right at the center and both spouses loving the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you'll love each other more. But as we talked about this, Cheryl said something profound. She said, listen, Chris, Ashley, Rick doesn't complete me. He never will. She said it took me years to figure that out when I you know, started to discover that Rick was not fulfilling all of my needs. <laughs> well, I was stunned. I was shocked. Elizabeth was Rick does not complete me. <laughs> Jesus does. Jesus completes me. Renee Zellweger does not complete anybody. For those of you who saw Jerry Maguire years ago, that was the big famous phrase from that movie, You complete me. Oh, it's so romantic and it's so wrong. No human being can complete another human being. Only Jesus completes me. Only Jesus is the perfect seven. Only Jesus is the complete number. I'm 666, gang. I'm not saying I'm the beast. But I'm the number of a man. And I can't complete anybody, and neither can you. But Jesus Christ does and can and will complete us. He will bring all things to absolute completion. Colossians 1.28 We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man what? Complete in Christ. Complete in Christ. And after a particularly difficult day last year, I was walking to the barn. In fact, I think I may have shared this even last week. I asked the Lord for a sign, as I did many times as the bridge was, was being started off and, and I said could you give me a little confirmation tonight Just letting me know that what I'm doing here Is what you want me to do here I prayed that Came into the bar and completely forgot about that Until afterwards When a couple was waiting for me And a woman who didn't even come to the bridge She was coming for Bible study But it wasn't her home fellowship Came up and said I've never had this kind of thing happen But I think the Lord gave me a verse to give you today And I had by the way at this point Completely forgotten that I would asked for something from the Lord a word of encouragement and I said what is it and she quoted me Philippians 1.6 I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus isn't that wonderful I've never forgotten it that verse has become emblazoned on my memory and on my heart he will complete me he will complete this work and he will complete you as well praise God Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Lord, there's nobody in this world that can do for me what you can do. Not even my wife, Lord. I love Cheryl to pieces. But she is not my fulfillment. And she never will be. And Lord, may you help us understand this. And take this thought home. Whether we're married or not, it's beside the point. The point is you, Jesus. That you are perfect. You are that absolute, complete seven. And we're stuck here in six. Six. And we want to be completed by You. And I pray, Lord, that You will bring us to that point of absolute completion. That day when You call us home. When You say, come up here and we go. And we are glorified and transformed and changed and altered. And as John said, Lord Jesus, we will, we will be like You. For we will see You as You are. We long for that day. Lord, complete us. And until then... Lord, use us to stem the tide of this beastly world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.